Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday, December the 18th, and today we recap the most bizarre year of our lives, really, uh, as we bring you the last daily episode of The Briefing before we bring you the weekly Summer Merge series. Hello, Jan Fran. Hello, Tom Tilly. Let's talk about the big moments that shaped 2020. Now to the historic fires devastating Australia. The respiratory virus outbreak coming from China. This case in Australia. They are resigning from the royal family. Uh, simple as that. They are stepping back as what they call senior royal. Pell is set to be released. Do not travel abroad. Do not go overseas. President Trump has just been impeached. George Floyd's death sparking protests across the country. I have a new series of stage four restrictions to announce. The President and First Lady are positive for COVID-19. Frankly, we did win this election. <laughs> Vice President Joe Biden to become the 46th President of the United States. Whew. It's a lot. <laughs> 2020 has been a lot. There is so much to unpack. And in today's briefing, we're going to take you through some of the words that define that bizarre series of events called 2020. Yeah, I'd never heard of doom scrolling before. Mm. Pyrocumulus. I'd never heard of that either. <laughs> yeah, Dom Knight is an author who's written the 2020 dictionary, the definitive guide to the year that the planet turned to shit. Yeah. First to today's news, and it starts with a story that no one wanted to hear. Yes, it sure does. Christmas plans have been thrown into all sorts of chaos with a cluster in Sydney's northern beaches growing rapidly. So far, 17 cases have been found and New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant believes she knows where the outbreak started. Our working hypothesis is that someone at that RSL club was potentially the source of infection for a number of subsequent cases. Mm, Avalon RSL. Yeah, and look, it is a hypothesis at the moment. So certainly the next few days are going to reveal a little bit more information. She is talking about Avalon RSL there. More than 270,000 Sydney ciders have been asked to stay home for at least three days. But epidemiologist Professor Tony Blakely expects that they may be stuck home for Christmas. Now, I think it's very likely that that will continue beyond three days. I can't see 17 not going up further. There's going to be more cases found in the next 24 hours. I suspect it's looking like a week or more for the northern suburbs. Yeah, wow, it's hectic news. So yesterday when we brought you the briefing, we were at five cases related to um, that outbreak, and then the news came through right about 6.30 last night as the television um, news bulletins were going to air that it had bumped up to 17, and there's pictures of thousands of people on the northern beaches lining up for tests, some people waiting four hours or more. That's why Tony Blakely there is saying there'll probably be a lot more cases coming out today. I think it would be a smart thing to brace for the possibility of having those numbers climb before they come back down. It'd just be interesting to see the effect that it has on, well, not just Sydney, but but those suburbs in particular, the Northern Beaches, for anyone who doesn't know, very outdoorsy, very touristy. Uh, and um, certainly going to be impacted for Christmas by the sounds of it. Yeah, so there's a whole list of places where, you know, people should be self-isolating if they've been to. It'll be interesting to see if they just keep ring-fencing this part of Sydney or if the restrictions all, you know, move into other parts of Sydney. And in response to that, the states have started putting their borders back up. So let's run through what each state has done so far. Yeah, there's uh, the information changes rapidly. But from today, anyone from the entire state of New South Wales who is arriving in WA will need to self-isolate for 14 days and also get tested. Um, the WA Premier, Mark McGowan, hasn't ruled out putting the hard border back up altogether. If we need to, we will put up the hard border 
And whilst that might be upsetting to people, uh, we'll do what we have to do uh, to keep having a great record in WA and keep the health and welfare of West Australia is paramount. Yeah, well, that pretty much is the hard border for people from New South Wales because they were able to cross the border before, but they had to self-isolate for 14 days. So that's a pretty strong and quick reaction. Uh, so far, Queensland's rules only apply to people who've been on the northern beaches, not the entire state. Anyone who was there from December 11 needs to self-isolate for 14 days if they visit Queensland. Um, from tomorrow, they'll have to go into hotel quarantine at their own expense. Yeah, Victoria is asking anyone who has been in the area from December 11 to stay home and get tested. So is the ACT. Uh, Tasmania is locking out the entire northern suburbs of Sydney, so where those northern beaches sit, except to essential travellers. And South Australia is asking anyone who's been to the area to get tested and isolate There may be some further announcements made today, depending on what time that you are hearing this, and the states may bring in harder restrictions as well. And an investigation into the decision to lock down nine public housing towers in Melbourne has found that it was a breach of human rights. Ombudsman Deborah Glass found that although the hard lockdown was justified, um, the fact that it was implemented immediately, so meaning the 3,000 people had no time to go out and shop for essentials, that that was what breached the residents' human rights. The immediacy of the lockdown risked the health and well-being of many people. Victoria's expert on infectious diseases, acting as chief health officer that day, told us that although she signed the lockdown directions, the timing was not on her advice. The Ombudsman's report recommends that the state government apologise to those residents, but the Housing Minister, Richard Wynne, says... He's not sorry. The call that was made was absolutely the right call uh, to uh, ensure the safety of of the residents. We make no apology for saving people's lives. What about... Absolutely no apology for saving people's lives. Yeah, he was backed up by the Premier, Dan Andrews, who said that they did the best that they could. Well, all decisions during this pandemic have been based on the very best of public health advice. Many of those decisions have been very challenging. There is no rule book for this. Nobody in Victoria has done this before. This is That's the nature of a one-in-100-year event. Yeah, the Ombudsman's report also found that the acting CHO had 15 minutes to sign directions for the lockdown, including having to consider some of the human rights implications. So not a long time before you have to make a really massive decision. Um, it's interesting as well, Deborah Glass said that the evidence showed that the majority of people in those towers were actually law-abiding people, just like any other Australians. And she also made the point that it would be unimaginable assumptions about them being lawbreakers, as were made in this case, would have been made if it had happened in a luxury apartment block. Yeah, but in luxury apartments, people have more space. The whole point with this was that these people were living in super cramped conditions and we'd seen in places like Singapore where lots of workers have been rammed into small apartments, that's where massive outbreaks happen. Yeah, I mean, I think the the concern here is the speed at which it happened. Yeah. Uh, I know Dan Andrews was the he was giving the press conference and police were moving in as the press yeah. conference was, you know, going live and it was five hundred police officers in a single shift. So it was hardcore. It, it was really one of the was, most yeah. hectic days of the year, I reckon. And there's been a very awkward disappointment for India in the first day of the Summer Test Cricket Series with Australia. Yeah, so India lost two wickets early at the Adelaide Oval and then as they were getting some runs on the board finally, their hero batsman Virat Kohli, the world of expectations on his shoulders, was run out after a mix-up left him halfway up the pitch. And a, a run-out, Jan, is the very most annoying, frustrating way to get out in cricket. I 
didn't understand half of the words that you used. But um, I know that India are at six for 233 heading into day two today. It's taken me about 25 years to understand cricket. But you know what? I'm finally here. (laughs) Well, understand this. For a lot of people, when the first um, test starts at summer, they don't do any more work after that for the whole summer. Oh, I know. (laughs) A.K.A. my husband. (laughs) All right. Coming up in just a moment, the 2020 Dictionary with author Dom Knight from The Chaser. Well, here he is, Dom Knight. Welcome to The Briefing. Pleasure to be here. It's a great book. It's I, I just don't know whether to buy 10,000 copies and put it in a time capsule <laughs> that's so powerful and meaningful or whether to just burn it because it encapsulates <laughs> so much frustration from this year. I don't think my publisher would mind as long as you bought them all first. That would be completely fine. But no, it is strange. I didn't really intend to, to document to such a huge degree the odd stuff that happened this year, like the point uh, when Hayley Berry and Anne Hathaway put a pillow in front of their bodies, put a belt around that pillow, oh, went yeah. on Instagram with a pillow dress. <laughs> that was odd, right? Like in five years, we're not going to be able to believe that was actually a thing that happened. Yeah. It's in the book. But that is so 2020 as well. And there's so there's, like, there's so many aspects of this book that I just think are things that started in 2020 and will live forever in memory as being so 2020, like doom scrolling. Well, let's define what so 2020 mm-hmm. means. It's something about the craziness of this year, but also I think the collective consciousness of all watching the internet. Yeah, it's weird. It's a combination of boredom and panic, I think, but experienced by everyone simultaneously yeah. while we're, we're being kept apart. So it's strange. It's both terrifying yet dull, mm. and we're both together in the experience yet physically kept apart. So it's... It's quite contradictory. And the doom scrolling um, really got me. I, I got into it during the bushfires. I was doing some work on covering those, which is pretty harrowing at the best of times. And so just tell us what doom scrolling is so, for someone that doesn't know. So doom scrolling is when you get obsessed with social media, like even more so than usual, and you've got to somehow, you find yourself ingesting all of the bad stuff. So I got to the point of having to know every single thing Donald Trump was doing or saying <laughs> and finding out election results in, in the tiniest counties in the middle of nowhere, which meant nothing. Biden had already won and I was still going, oh, but what's going to happen in the county in Georgia? Um, And that kind of stuff. And it just got so addictive to find out every beat in the story, particularly Mm. with COVID. I mean, every day. Yeah, I did COVID doom scrolling Mm. for sure. I was there just finding out the numbers every single day in all of the states, wanting to know who. You'd sit there like a zombie though, like hours would just pass by and you're saying you're like picking up on every beat of the story. Often you're you're watching it, you're seeing it, you know, scroll before your eyes, but you're really not taking it in. Oh, and, and the whole thing about watching the press conferences um, with premiers or, or ScoMo or, or whatever, and I remember on Twitter it was like, oh, oh, Dan Andrews is about to start. And you know what? The New South Wales Health Information, for instance, was published every day in an infographic. I could have just looked at that. That yeah. would have been fine. But no, you've got to hear it. Oh, it's, it's, it's an addiction. It's not good. Yeah. So there were so many annoying words this year and you define um, lots of them. It feels like some of them are tattooed into our brain. You know, <laughs> hopefully one day we can get the laser treatment to get rid of them. Unprecedented. <laughs> yes. Yes. Out. That's banned. No, I think we, after this year we will have done all the stuff. Yeah, that's so what I was thinking be... about burning the book because so many of these words we should never use again. That's right. So unprecedented, I think, as of 31 December, there is a precedent. It's 2020. <laughs> be quiet. Don't use that word again. So pivot. That was obviously annoying, but why do you think it was so annoying? 
Uh, both because it's annoying management speak, which I don't like in any year, um, just because it we have words for that sort of stuff, you know, we shift, move, um, change things. Mm. But pivot's always like, yeah, so we're doing this thing and, in fact, that's not going very well, so let's just go over here and do this. And you hear it constantly from the PM, for instance. He, he gets a question he doesn't like and given his um, sort of ninja-level marketing skills, he just r- twists it into something that he can answer and that makes him look good. And that's what politics has become now. It's become an exercise in pivoting. You don't, uh, you know, having a tough time on the bushfires, sure, pivot it so that it's now about you getting the military to help out. And aren't you an Aussie champ for doing that? Mm. Yeah, there's a level of disingenuousness, isn't there, where you're sort of ignoring the thing that you're pivoting away from. Exactly. And putting all the focus on the thing you're pivoting to. Yeah, yeah Tom, thank you for that point. Let's talk about something completely different, but make it look seamless. That's a pivot. Give it a cool name. Uh, all in this together, you single out Ugh. as well. Why do you think that was particularly nauseating? It's true. We were all in it together in the sense that COVID happened everywhere at the same time and we were all in lockdown pretty much. But we were in completely different situations, right? If you were, if you were elderly, if you were immunocompromised, uh, if you were poor and mm. still had to go out. I mean, yeah. I think of all the, the Uber and delivery drivers who, mm. who worked to bring us um, our food, putting themselves in harm's way. And it wasn't the same for everyone at all. Some of us had palatial mansions, like the celebs who were telling us, we're all in this together, guys. Ellen, didn't go well for her. No, uh, Madonna, I think, did it from a bubble bath. I mean, bless (laughs) them for trying and thinking, look, I am a moral leader of my community. My community needs me to say... Follow these restrictions, which haven't bothered me at all in my giant mansion. Yeah, they never really said that, though. They just kind of came out and said something really wishy-washy about love and peace and, as you say, being all in it together. I had a friend who is a nurse who got COVID, yeah. uh, and that was a very different experience to kind of just sitting at home going, come on, guys, let's all be in this together. So I can see why it's infuriating. At the yeah. same time, it was hard to get the tone right in 2020 on a lot of things. Don't oh, you yeah, think? this is true. I mean, this was a big, big stakes gamble. I mean, if the case count had exploded, we would not be having this conversation. This book yeah. would be nowhere. Yeah, totally. So uh, it was, given that I was writing it in kind of June, July, I, and, and that was during the, the peak, really, of the Victorian crisis, or at least then I was editing it, and we didn't know how it was going to go. I mean, that was a really scary thing. Well, speaking of the Victorian crisis, this little grab came from the really dark depths of it. It's... Dan Andrews trying to describe a sexual relationship. By virtue of the fact that they are intimate partners, their contact is of a different nature. Uh, I can't quite believe I'm having to explain that. (laughs) But I am, but I'm stopping there because I don't think that serves any greater purpose than anyway, fine. Mine's a G-rated question. 2020. (laughs) 2020. It's full of surprises. So, Dom, in your dictionary, uh, you point out that the Dutch have a much better word for it. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that's why Dan Andrews wore all those waterproof jackets. Anyway, um, (laughs) yeah, sex buddy, which is S-E-K-S, buddy, um, and that was just a very practically-minded suggestion uh, that if you lived in the, in the Netherlands, um, you should find someone with whom to bump nether regions, shall we say. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And very practical. I mean, just it like... It is very practical. Yeah. I commend them. We couldn't do it. We couldn't find a word. We had to make it awkward. Why? Yeah, I mean, but we have... Don't we have words for this sort of stuff? You know, like shag, buddy, whatever you need. There could have been a great Australian term for this. Maybe we, we're too squeamish. Maybe well, we, we, we really squandered an opportunity there. It's We've got one. <laughs> buddy. <laughs> You're allowed to say that on a podcast. I love podcasting, right? I love it. Oh, I don't know. Just don't the know the this is Tom's last day on the job, everybody. But no, it is a f- buddy, but it's. I think it's funnier if you put it in Dutch, S-E-K-S buddy. So next, next pandemic, hey, let's use that one. Yeah, it is infinitely funnier.
Or Tom's. It's fine too. <laughs> there were some other kind because this is a, the 2020 dictionary, as you say, not the COVID dictionary. Mm. So many other things happened in 2020 as well. The Royals had a big year. The Royals had a look a very big year, mm. and um, we had what I think is the best royal w- wedding ever. Was it? I can't even remember whether it was Beatrice or Eugenie. One of one of those. Beatrice. Kids. Beatrice. Okay, well, you, you guys follow the news. Um, had the wedding, had the royal wedding, and all that happened was it happened. We didn't even know it was going to happen. It happened in some private chapel. And the Queen just said a few days later, yes, it was good. And that's all we needed to know. There was no parade. There was no mass TV coverage. And there were no photos of Prince Andrew whatsoever, despite being the father of the bride. Mm. He was basically invisible. And I think the more members of that family that are invisible, that's got to be a good start, particularly that guy. (laughs) Well, I think we'll probably see it in The Crown. That's where it'll come up. Um, It it does almost feel like this year the, the Royals made 2020 about them. You know, there was. There was I so mean, there's much a news. change. <laughs> but it was well, Meghan with, and Harry left early on in the year. Mm. Rolling out of Prince Andrew's controversy with his connection to Jeffrey Epstein. We got the palace letters, which you define in the dictionary, which was, you know, from the 70s, where the palace was sort of this confidant for, just, for the Governor yeah. General who was about to sack the Prime Minister. Mm. Just edging Whitlam off a cliff slightly. My favourite, which didn't make it in the dictionary, was actually the, the Cambridge's train tour, which they just did. So. Oh, yeah. uh, Wills Wales? and Kate, they went, well, they went to about five or ten places all over the country by train. And a lot of people got angry with them because there was a ban against non-essential travel. And everyone said, come on, you can't get much more non-essential than, than the yeah, prince than on the a train. <laughs> Why was it this culmination for the royals this year? It feels like a lot of things happen at once and we can't blame it all on the crown. No, I mean, that's certainly, I think that's actually helping people see it differently. I feel quite sorry for the queen having to have that job, but the rest of the family, not so good. I, I don't. I just think they're not enormously helpful in any crisis, you know. Like when things get real, I mean, sure, if you want a fate opened or a ribbon cut, bring them out. But if if there's life and death stuff, I mean, the most endearing member of the team was Prince Charles for me. He got COVID. He made some little videos saying, you know what, I've got it. I'm in my palace, but I'm going okay. Thanks for your concern. And crucially, he didn't go to his usual doctors who were into homeopathy. So that was sensible. (laughs) Well done, young You know who I think is roiling quite well? Prince Edward. No one ever hears from him. He yes. just gets on with Princess his life. Princess Mary as well. Princess yeah, that's Mary. true. I mean, there's a reason in, in, in Edward's case, which is that he um, hosted It's a Royal Knockout years ago, and they still haven't forgiven him for that. <laughs> <laughs> Pyrocumulus. Did you have to learn Latin to write this dictionary? Yep. I did all of the Latin. Now, what pyro- is that? A pyrocumulus cloud is a horrifying thing that we saw a lot of during the summer. Uh, and it's, it is a cloud that has no rain, and it forms above a bushfire, Heaps of smoke, heaps of ash get caught up in it. Because there's no rain, it doesn't help with the fires. And because lightning comes out of it, it can spark new ones. So it's basically the point at which a bushfire becomes a total nightmare doomscape and starts generating other bushfires all by itself. Huzzah! Yeah. I was going to ask you our final question, which would be the defining word of 2020, if you could pick one thing from the dictionary. But pyrocumulus sort of almost seems to sum it up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the one I normally go to, I've kind of got two for this, but nasopharyngeal swab. Um, I talked to Jan a couple of weeks ago, and since then I've had one. I had one two days ago, and every time it seems to get worse. Every time they seem to get to more bits of the the nasal and throat (laughs) cavity. So that, to me, I think we all felt like we just had a giant stick shoved up us in in 2020. What is it? Nasopharyngeal swab, which means a swab of your nose and your throat. And then after that, of course, a quarantini, 
which combines the main two themes of this year, drinking a lot and loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> it's doom scrolling for me, I reckon. Quarantine is up there, but for me it's doom scrolling. That yeah. was the experience. That's going to be the memory that I'm going to try and erase. And good on you guys for coming up with an audio way of getting your news without looking at the screen. I think we all need more of that in 2021. Well, Thank that was you. one of our, you know, we've been experimenting with different sort of taglines, you know, it goes perfectly with your morning coffee or it's like, get away from the doom scrolling, listen to the briefing. Does yeah, put the phone down yeah. <laughs> and just listen on the headphones. That, that'll work. All right, Dom, it's a great book and it will make a really good um, present to pull out of the, the Christmas stocking. I'm not just saying that. This would be a very good lull around the, the Christmas table. Yeah, don't burn it. Hang on to it oh, and look thanks. back at it in 20 years' time and go, oh, remember that year. Years. Yeah, just, totally would. If you flick through it and, and relive the horror, you'll be kind of doom scrolling in book form. Exactly. <laughs> so it's called The 2020 Dictionary, The Definitive Guide to the Year the Planet Turned to Shit. There's that podcasting swearing again. I love it. <laughs> All right, Jan, our sponsor this week is ComBank, who are all about positivity, the can-do attitude, and we're going to send you uh, into the summer with our can-do moment of 2020. Yes, and our can-do moment of the year, well, actually, it goes to a few people, a whole town, actually. It goes to Australia's most generous town. Any guesses what that town is? Australia's most generous town? I mean, there's a lot of generous towns in Australia. No, but we want the most generous town, and it exists. It is the town of... Drum roll, please. Bundaberg. Yeah, so this town has donated the most per capita to GoFundMe campaigns this year. Yes. Hooray to you, the residents of Bundaberg. Yeah, um, good on you. You were followed by residents of Wagga Wagga, Mackay, Mandura and Launceston. Mandura. Mandura. You been to WA much? Yes, I have. Good. Um, <laughs> here's the GoFundMe spokesperson, Nicola Britton. At the heart of these giving trends is a community effort and a community response. So the tight-knit community efforts that um, has led to the to Bundaberg actually jumping from fifth place last year to the number one spot this year in 2020. Wow, they got more generous. That's pretty cool. Can so- we just acknowledge that they were at fifth place, which is already commendable? <laughs> yeah. Well done to you, Bundaberg. <laughs> As for the most popular campaigns, look, it's probably not surprising that the top 10 were for the bushfire recovery. Number one was the campaign to save kangaroo islands, koalas and wildlife after the bushfires. Mm. Um, so it started with a target of 15,000, right, which is not a small amount, but guess how much they ended up raising? $2.6 million. That is incredible. And that is it for the daily episodes of The Briefing this year, our first ever year. Yeah, thank you so much for coming with us on the ride. It's always a pleasure to know that you're out there listening and I'm sure you're going to be back with us for 2021, obviously. Yeah, we're going to bring you weekly summer mode episodes, but it's been really nice seeing your comments on Instagram about the way you've brought The Briefing into your life. Um, You know, whether you're doing exercise or some people even listen going to bed at night, doing all kinds of things. Yeah, it's been a wild ride starting a podcast in 2020 and there's a bunch of people who've been on the ride with us all the way. So there's people that get up even earlier than us. We get up at four. There's people (laughs) that get up earlier than that. And a big shout out to our executive producer, Nick McClure, our news producer, Sally Spice, and editor, Matt Curry. Also a big thank you to news producer, Claire Sherwood, panellist, Nathan McHale, and our creative director, Sam Kavanagh. And thank you. Have a great Christmas. Um, look out in your podcast feed for our first Summer Mode episode on Monday morning. Yeah, we'll still be around. Catch you in 2021.
A Podcast One production.